Well, good morning and welcome everybody to Encounter Church. Uh, Listen, before we jump into the part three of our series, Stop the Drift, I want to call your attention, both of our locations, uh, Kentwood, Fulton Heights, we've got this art installation in the lobby and it's a super cool idea, uh, dovetails with art prize and I would love to say that that was super intentional. Providential is what we call it in the, in the church world. But it's, super, uh, it's a super cool display, and it's a way we're, we're crowdsourcing ways of stopping spiritual drift from taking place in our lives. So after worship, immediately afterwards, head on out there. One or two ideas that you stop spiritual drift. Write them on a little card, hang it on the Stop the Drift display, and then next week and the week after, you're invited to take one down and to put it into practice. Uh, one, of the, one of the practices I was challenged with earlier was to keep a gratitude journal. Just write down the things that you're grateful for. Maybe it's in a paper journal, remember those? Uh, maybe it's on a phone app, just something, right? Just the ways that you practice gratitude. Uh, bonus points for specificity on that one. Like, it's easy to say things like, I'm, I'm so grateful for a family that loves me. And it's like, okay, but, but more specifically than that. I'm grateful for a toasted everything bagel with veggie cream cheese smeared on the top. Might not be your thing. It's mine. I know that there's a benevolent God at the center of the universe because that exists. I'm grateful. Uh, Whatever your practice is, write it down and hang it on the board. Uh, We're on part three of our series, Stop the Drift. It's a series that we're doing, working our way through the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Uh, Part one, chapter one, we saw Daniel resolved. And because Daniel resolved, God had the opportunity to show up and show off. Uh, Part two, last week in Daniel chapter two, not Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar, this dream that he had, uh, the the statue crumbling. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar sees his kingdom in light of the kingdom. And we said, the application for us to stop the drift is is to find our purpose, to find your purpose is that you have an opportunity to play a supporting role in the greatest story ever told. And today, chapter three, we're going to look at courage and the remarkable power that courage has to stop drift from taking place in our lives. As we, as we get into it, I want to kind of make this observation that I think there's a, there's a spectrum uh, of courage there's two kinds of people at the ends of this spectrum, and wherever kind of you are, you can identify your, yourself. There's people who have this way of bending reality to fit their will, and there's other people on the opposite end who have this ability to bend their will to fit the reality of the situation. Um, finding a parking spot is a good example of this. Where, where somebody comes through and they see there's a perfect spot right where they want it, great location in front of the building, Little problem though, there's a no parking sign. So what do you do? Well, there's the kind of person who approaches that situation and goes, well, I know what I do. I bend reality to fit my will. Uh, This is a good spot. This is now going to be my spot. It doesn't matter. It's a silly sign anyway. There's no fire hydrant. It's not handicapped. This is a law that doesn't apply to me. I'm only here for a little while. And you park. You're bending reality to fit your will. There's other people on the opposite end of the spectrum who see the same thing going, and they're like, oh, good spot. I'm going to keep on driving. Well, what about that other spot? I'm too busy to park there. I'm looking for a new spot. (laughs) I'm not going to do it. Uh, Couples. The truth is, these two people oftentimes marry each other. When it comes to returning a product to the store that you didn't like or it broke on you, 
this reality will present itself. There's people, uh, there's people like me that when something breaks, I'll bend my will to fit the reality. I guess I just have to buy a new one. <laughs> or I guess I'll have to learn to do without. And then there's the person that I married who's got a tremendous amount of retail experience in another life that she brings into this situation. She goes in with product in hand, somehow so kind, so nice, like reading from the playbook, knows exactly what to do and what to say. We emerge out of that situation with a new product, an upgraded product, coupons to the store, and a little Kohl's cash thrown in just for fun. And we're shopping at Target. Like, how does this work? There's a couple of different kinds, a couple of different kinds of people. People who hear the bump in the night and go investigate. And there's the people who fall asleep or pretend that you're sleeping and never heard it. (laughs) We're talking about courage today and the remarkable ability that courage has to stop financial, relational, spiritual drift from taking place in our lives. I think it would be helpful if we go into this time together before we open up the story and and to hear uh, God's story told to us, where, in, where do you want to be a more courageous person? Like, where in life do you wish that you just had, like, a little m- more? Like, maybe this uh, r- relational courage kind of thing. I wish I had the courage to go ahead, walk across the room, and to, like, ask her out. I wish I had the, the courage to end a toxic relationship and to be free from it. I wish I had a courage, the courage in a, in a platonic, in a friendship to be real, to have like one vulnerable conversation where we actually take the masks off and stop pretending. Where do you want to be a more courageous person? vocationally. I wish I put my name in the hat. I wish I, could, I wish I could say out loud to one other person that mattered, this is what I want. These are what my goals are. I wish I had the courage to follow through. I wish I had the courage to start a new thing. I wish I had the courage to begin a ministry, to join a ministry, to do something. I wish I had more courage. What we're going to do today is we're going to open up God's word and we're going we're gonna to see a truth. And it's like our starting point for this morning. So I'd like us to get kind of on the same page as we move into our time. How many of us, with a show of hands, Fulton Heights, you're no exception. How many of us, Kentwood, Fulton Heights, would consider ourselves naturally courageous people? Put your hands up. Let the record reflect very few of us, which is awesome because if a lot of hands went up, then I would just call it a day and we'd all go home. It'd be a short message here. What we're going to learn is that for the huge majority of us of what we just saw, courage isn't going to be something that we were born with. Is that courage was going to be something taught to us. What we're going to see today is courage isn't a spontaneous act. It's a skill that's learned. It's a skill that's developed over time. And if you have some of it already, awesome. You can grow in it. And we're going to see these three ingredients in this morning today, that if you could apply these three ingredients, I think that you'd walk out of here as a more courageous person financially, more courageous person relationally, more courageous person spiritually to stop the drift that's taking place. We're going to go to Daniel chapter 3. 
And we're going to pick it up in, in verse 1 of, of chapter 3, part 3 of our series. We start off with King Nebuchadnezzar. If you're here last week, you can listen to that message. King Nebuchadnezzar, in Daniel chapter 3, made an image of gold. 60 cubits high, 6 cubits wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. It's, it's kind of a throwaway detail, but it's, it's going to be important in a little bit here. King Nebuchadnezzar sets up this statue. It's 60 by 6. It's about 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. Uh, wh- what we're going to see is this statue. Think less Statue of Liberty and more like Washington Monument with the proportions at stake here. It's made of gold, probably not solid gold. It's probably just something he did to kind of trick everybody. It's probably made out of wood with like a gold plating around it. But some of you, maybe you were here last week and you're like, come on, dude, seriously? Like we, we, we heard this story before. It was like Daniel chapter two, he has this dream. The head is gold, silver, bronze, clay, iron. Rock comes, smashes it to bits. Thanos snap. All the kingdoms of the world go to dust. The God's kingdom never ends, right? We heard this story before. Something happens. Something happens. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar like gets in his mind, I can undo the dream. I can undo the prophecy. See, the problem was my kingdom was the head of gold. The problem was that there was a silver and a bronze and iron and clay. I'm going to make the whole thing out of gold. Problem solved. And it's kind of like where we pick up this morning. Sorry. And you're going, dude, that's a terrible idea. (laughs) Haven't you learned this lesson? Let me just tell you, spiritual drift happens. If you're a note-taking kind of person, uh, in your margins, the the time between Daniel chapter 1... In Daniel chapter 2, part 1 and part 2 of our series, about three years. The time in between Daniel chapter 2, the dream story last week, and today's story, the statue, 17 years. I think Nebuchadnezzar had been mulling this around for 17 years. Maybe a decade in, he gets his idea in his head. Seven more years, it becomes a reality. Verse 4, it got the statue in the plain, uh, province of, of Babylon. The herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language. Maybe underline that one. Uh, that language takes place, Genesis, the book of Daniel, Isaiah, the Gospels, the book of Revelation. It, it's like, it's coded language. It, it's heavy. It, it rests on us. We're going to move on. We're going to come back to it, though. This is what you're commanded to do. <laughs> he goes, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, kazoo, hammer, dulcimer, guitar, uh, like, I don't know. It's like the guy works at Guitar Center. He's very passionate about the instruments. It's going to get annoying, but I just stick with it, okay? He lists all the instruments. When you hear all kinds of music... You must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever doesn't fall down will immediately be thrown into the, into the furnace. Plain of Dura, province of Babylon, they're out there and it's flat. It's desert flat. It's caked. It's, it's hard ground. A massive parking lot. It's probably not thousands of people. It's probably tens of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of people. 
by order of the king. He was very persuasive. The fiery furnace helped. He goes out into the wilderness. It's, it's not burning man. It's going to be burning men, right? They've, they've got the statue set up in the middle, the gold statue. Listen, when the instruments play, everybody is going to like fall down, nose to the ground, like a Lion King pride rock style. Everybody kind of hits it, right? And just to make sure that everybody participates, we've got a stage set up. The king is there, some of his henchmen, and a furnace, and a furnace there on stage. Bow down, worship, worship the king, worship the altar, worship the idol. There's like a few guys in the crowd. You might know how this one goes. And they're going, I don't think we can do that. There's a command, first couple of commandments in the Ten Commandments, like kind of the top ten list. No other gods, no idols. I object on two grounds, at least. They've kind of got this situation where they're thrust into the courage being tested, their faith being tested. As we hear oftentimes around here, it's not a story that did happen, it's a story that does happen. It keeps playing out. Question, um, show of hands. Has anybody seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge? The true story, Desmond Doss, tons of people, awesome. Uh, fantastic story. I mean, the guy exemplifies courage. If, if you haven't seen it, it's a young man, Desmond Doss, during World War II. He works at a shipyard building ships. He didn't have to go to war in World War II. He already had a, a war-adjacent job. He was building the ships that were fighting. But he chooses not even to wait until he's enlisted uh, or until he's drafted, he goes down to the office, he enlists himself. Uh, as a person of faith, he has this conviction, this strong conviction, based on one of the commandments, thou shalt not kill. Uh, not the first and second one, this time, like in our story, he's focusing on the, on the sixth, thou shalt not kill. But he wants to be a part of the war. He doesn't call himself a conscientious objector. Uh, he calls himself a conscientious uh, cooperator. Like he's like, no, no, no. We have to stop the forces of evil, the Nazis from like taking over the world. We got to do something. It's just, I want to help, but not that way. And so everything is fine. The running drills, the push-up drills, but they get, to the, uh, they get to the firing range and he's like, I can't hold a weapon because of these convictions that I have. You know, those of you who've seen the movie, he goes to war, he goes to Hacksaw Ridge uh, in, the, in the Pacific Theater. His, his company takes heavy losses. They're trapped down on top of this ridge. Medics, help cannot get there without coming into, into harm. He's on the top of the ridge. He makes this pulley system with a stretcher attached to it and one by one he dodges sniper fire all night long to grab a guy by the by the shoulders and and pull him to the stretcher lower him down and then go back out shot on by the snipers to grab another guy who's wounded to drag him out and to lower him down to the stretcher at the base of the hill below the guys are like one by one soldiers keep getting lowered down what is happening on the ridge? Desmond Doss never picks up a weapon, saves the lives of 75 men. Fast forward, he's on the south lawn of the White House. President Harry S. Truman is awarding him the Medal of Honor for Courage. I mean, the guy exemplifies it. And it comes from this place. It comes from this place. 
conviction of not violating a commandment. These three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are on the plane in Babylon that day. And they see everybody about to bow down to violate two of the top ten commandments. Maybe you've seen this movie, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. VeggieTales generation will know them as uh, Shaq, Rack, and Benny. The bunny, right? You know, they're all, they're all bowing down. These, these, guys are, these guys are out there. You might ask the question, where's Daniel? Some people speculate because of the promotion he got in chapter 2 last week. Uh, maybe he's out on business. Other people are like, no, no, no. He's on stage. He's exempt from this whole thing because, like, he's standing next to the king right now. What I'd like us to see about courage, about learning courage, is that he didn't have to be there. He spent enough time with Rack, Shaq, and Benny that it like leached onto them. We're going to say courage is contagious. Uh, Proverbs 13.20, probably my favorite proverb quoted often in the Van Eyck home, <laughs> in my home. Uh, Walk with the wise, become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Courage, wisdom, these godly traits, they, they leech. They have a way of being learned without necessarily consciously learning it. Walk with the wise and like you'll become wise over time. But listen, a companion of fools, it's not that you'll become foolish, it's that there's shrapnel blowing up all the time and you're gonna get hit. Daniel didn't need to be with Rakshak and Benny because he had spent the last 17 plus three years with Rakshak and Benny plus possibly more in another life in Jerusalem before they ever even got to Babylon. This courage was contagious. I think it's worth considering for a moment who you're around and who's around you. If courage is contagious and foolishness is throwing off shrapnel, are you living a life that's going to bless the people around you? Or is it only a matter of time until they get hurt? Are you going to pick up the wisdom of the people around you? Or is it only a matter of time until you get hurt? Daniel didn't need to be there. Verse 7. As soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, all kinds of, all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of the king that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. All of them except a couple, three. This is, this is uh, bonus material. Not super relevant to the topic of courage, but I came across it earlier uh, in preparation for today. And it's like one of those things that like, you just, you, you gotta know. Uh, not just about the story, but I think of, about your story, about, about life. Um, that, that language, that coded language that I mentioned was important. All the peoples, all the language. Um, also the place where it happened, the plain of Dura, the, the re- region, the province of Babylon. This story has taken place before. And not in Daniel, way, way back, um, the book of Genesis chapter 11. There's a kind of a local leader, local king. A guy's, a guy's name is Nimrod which is kind of fun. Everybody's looking for a good Bible name for their kids, like Peter, you know, Mary, Esther, Mark, Nimrod. 
think about it. Anyway, Nimrod gets this idea. Great idea. Where are we getting Nimrod from today? We're going to build this tower up, up to the heavens, you know, and we're going we're gonna to take control into our own hands. We're going to be our own gods. Uh, some of you know the Tower of Babel story. God says, this is not the plan. Don't come up to me. I'll make my way down to you when the time comes. Right now, go out, go out, explore. Meet some new people. Check out some new lands. He confuses their language as a way to like force them to get to know other people. Uh, 1,500 years later, a king's name, not Nimrod, the king's name is Nebuchadnezzar. He's on the, the plain of Babylon, Babel. It's the same place. All the peoples, all the nations of the land, they gather around. They gather around a, they gather around a throne of somebody who's trying to replace heaven, trying to, trying to do God's job, trying to assert control over their environment. It's a king. It's a counterfeit king. It's a counterfeit king with a counterfeit kingdom, with counterfeit worship, the music, the harps, the lyres, with counterfeit congregants, with counterfeit worshipers. There's even like a counterfeit hell right there on the stage next to the king, the fiery furnace, right? Like Nebuchadnezzar is setting himself up as like, we can do this, we can be in control. And I just, I share that with you because that language of every nation, tribe, and language gathering together is throughout the Bible. It's like God is trying to tell you, it's not a story that happened, it's a story that happens. There's Genesis, there's Daniel, there's Isaiah, there's, there's the Gospels. Go and make disciples. Tell them about the true king, not the counterfeit gods that we make up in order to leverage control. There's revelation. The one true God at the end of time that every nation, tribe, language, and tongue will gather before and will bow down to who actually is worthy and deserving of our praise. It's like every time we, we do this, and if any of us think that we don't do this, like, like just, just look at how we go to work. And about work, you can climb at the ladder, you know, providing for my family. You know, it's just like, how many of us do it to try to assert control, to try to gather up all those levers and those mechanisms in order for us to be able to do what we want, when we want, how we want. It's about control. And when it doesn't work out at home, at work, then we go home. And we inappropriately try to like demand control, coerce control, and dominate at home. It's not a story that happened. It's a story that happens. Then when we don't get it at work, when we don't get it at home, then we show up to coach Little League so we can bully 10-year-olds so we can have control. It's a story. It's a story that happens. And it's going on and on. And when the music plays, everybody knows what their role is to play in this story, to bow down. Everybody except three guys who stay standing in a sea of people, 13 furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar, Sums, Rakshak, and Beni, these men were brought before the king, and things are heating up, pun intended. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves in this matter. We didn't need to pray on it. We didn't need to make a Facebook poll to see what our friends think that we should do. We just knew. We weren't going to fake it, pretend like we're worshiping, but have our fingers crossed. We weren't going to do it and then just ask for forgiveness later because God is super forgiving and Nebuchadnezzar is super not. You could make a lot of ways to justify this. They could have made... A lot of justifications. 
They didn't. Don't. Because a faith that is tested is a faith that is trusted. And then they give you those three key ingredients. And this is, this is everything. The entire chapter, the entire takeaway, the ingredients of learning courage is in these next couple lines. Listen. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, number one, the God we serve is able. The God we serve is able to deliver us. Two, he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, majesty, that we'll not serve your gods or worship the image of the God, of the gold you've set up. This is courage. Learning the ingredients of courage. I believe that God can. I expect that he will. And I trust him if he doesn't. I believe that God can. Starting place. A hundred thousand people laid down. Three guys standing tall. I just wonder if everybody looks at these three guys next to the king on the stage with the fiery furnace and the henchman next to him. And and how many of the 100,000 people looked at that scene and go, these three guys are puny compared to this great king. But these guys, I believe that God can, stand next to the king. And they go, what a puny king Nebuchadnezzar compared to our God in heaven. I believe that God can. Some of us, the ingredients, the courage, the first thing that we need to do is is to see God as powerful, is to see God bigger than the fears in front of us, is to see God as bigger than the cancer, to see God as bigger than the job situation, to see God bigger than my dyslexia, bigger, bigger than the shame that I carry around, bigger than the sin in my life, bigger even than the grave. I believe that God can is the first ingredient. The second one is that I expect that he will. I, mean, I want to I share, share a secret. This is so important. This is, this is good. You want to know the secret of their courage to say, I expect that he will? They didn't. In the next line, in verse 18, they caveat it with, but even if he doesn't, I expect that God will. They didn't know that they were going to make it out alive. Like sometimes we, we, we look back in the stories in the Bible and we're like, how do they have such incredible faith to just to know what's going to happen? There's a story in the Old Testament, uh, Jonathan, and recorded in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel 14. Jonathan is a prince. He's fighting the Philistines. And I just, this story is so wild. Because he's got, he and his armor bearer, there's two guys, there's one sword between the two of them. And Jonathan's like, hey, See that company of Philistines over there? 20 of them, fully armed? We're going to go get them. And the guy's like, are you one sword? And he's like, yeah, but there's maybe like a rock around here you could pick up. But, but like, let's go, armor bearer. The two of us with one sword and that rock, let's go take this company of 20 fully armed Philistines. Perhaps God is going to deliver them to us. 
Let me ask you, if you're the armor bearer, would you not be like, bro, you're going to need to do a little bit better than perhaps. (laughs) He didn't know. He believed that God could. He expected that God will. But he trusted. Even if God wouldn't. Even if God didn't. Because people of faith like that, Jesus is enough. For Shaq, Rack, and Benny going into the fiery furnace, they knew where they were headed in there. And they knew with whom they would be on the way out. Whether they went in and came out alive or not, trust every ingredients of faith. I believe that God can. I expect that he will. And he trusted, even if he doesn't. And then we get verse 24. King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? Certainly, your majesty. I see four. I see four men walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. And there's so much in here that we could spend so long preaching about how it's only their chains that burned up and the freedom that came. But I don't think that's today's message. I think think that there's just somebody in the room, somebody watching online, And you just need to know that Jesus is with you in the furnace. He didn't forget about you. He didn't abandon you. That Jesus is with you now. And maybe he's going to see you through like Jonathan and then those Philistines. Maybe he's going to see you through like Rakshak and Benny. Or maybe you suffer like Jesus. But he's with you. And he has far more than enough. We hear a story like Desmond Doss, Medal of Honor recipient. And a lot of us were like, how do you get a courage like that? Desmond himself fills out that picture. Where did you learn it? It wasn't at boot camp. It wasn't on the shipyard. He said, when I was a kid, my dad brought home an illustrated Ten Commandments. And against one of the commandments, number six, thou shalt not kill. You know it's the King James Version. It was a little picture of Cain killing his younger brother, and he had a younger brother. His name was Harold, and he goes... If I love God, I couldn't take another life. It came from a kid's Bible, not the battlefield. Church, now is the time to begin learning courage, to begin trusting, to begin allowing your faith to be tested because that's where trust is displayed. I believe that God can. I expect that he will.
And I trust him, even if he doesn't. We're going to end our time a little bit differently today. Uh, because today I'm going to ask everybody online, Fulton Heights, Kentwood, to do a very small and very simple thing. is just to pull out your phones and to lead by example. I'm going to do that well. And this is, uh, this is our survey day that we do here at the church. We do, it, we do it once a year, and this is a time for, for you all to speak into the direction of this church. And we need this so badly. We need your voice so badly. We have this value on the wall about doing life together. This is one of those ways that it really comes. So uh, link behind me below, encounterchurch.org slash survey. You can also uh, scan the QR code in the seat back in front of you. It's survey time. Go ahead and start filling it out. It's like four minutes, not even two minutes. Uh, It's not going to take long uh, while I'm talking. Just some notes as you're filling it out. Online, Fulton Heights, Kenwood, everybody who gets this, filling out the survey. Once a year, we ask everybody whether this is your first Sunday or you've been coming here for years to participate in a brief survey. This survey, totally anonymous. There's no right answers. We'd love for you to be as honest as possible so we can have the most helpful information about our church as a whole. A survey helps us know who we are as a church, demographic questions, and what we do as a church by measuring how we're living out those values I mentioned on the wall. Pull out your phone, QR code, seat back in front of you, click the survey link, encounterchurch.org slash survey. We don't do this often, but we're looking for 100% participation. Now, we've done it before, okay? We count the people, we count the surveys. That's a simple 100% participation because your voice matters. And you're doing it. This is so good. No eye contact. I'm all right with that for this time only. Take out your time. Take your time. Fill out the survey. As you fill it out, as one church in many locations, I just simply want to offer this time and dedication to Jesus for what he's going to do throughout this survey. God, we're being faithful. We're trying to be obedient, speaking into the direction of this church. Uh, Jesus, we dedicate, we, we ask you to bless this time to be fruitful, even if not productive. We ask that it's through this time that you start growing something over the next year in our planning, in our ministries. May you be glorified as we bring people far from you to new life in your son, Jesus Christ. It's in your name. Amen. super helpful that we keep it a little dark because we got that like blue glow on your face and I know like when everybody is done taking the survey because the glow disappears
It's also not a great time to check Instagram because then we're just going to be here like all day waiting for that one. <laughs> all right, church, I want to invite you to stand up. We're going to keep on worshiping here together. If you need a couple more minutes to fill out the survey, we're phone friendly. Go ahead and fill that out as we keep on worshiping together. But one more time, let's all stand up and let's keep on singing about the God who doesn't leave us alone in the fire. He actually meets us there. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience Join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.